With the NFL Draft just days away, we're here to discuss the Vikings' potential strategy and more on the Eric the Red podcast. Hello and welcome in everyone to the Eric the Red podcast. I am your host, Eric Beck, and we have finally almost made it. We are just five days away from the recording of this podcast to the NFL draft is finally happening this coming Thursday, the 29th. So this is going to be a very draft heavy podcast, a very draft centric draft focused podcast. But we're going to go ahead and start off with some other news that came out this week because there's been some Uh, Well, there's been a variety of news that has come out in the NFL as a whole this past week. And so let's go ahead and talk about some different things here in our weekly wrap-up. Weekly wrap-up. If we can actually remember to add the audio to this episode, which I forgot to do last episode. I literally, as I was uploading the episode to YouTube, it was just like this, ah, freaking moment as I was remembering that I had forgotten to add that sounder into the audio to the video, to all the things. But with all of that said, take a look at this. The NFL agreed to a bunch of different rule changes earlier this week, which to start off early in this week, I wrote a note to myself that there was a new helmet that was announced. Apparently there is a, a new position-specific helmet coming out for linemen. I know hardly anything about this thing because so much other stuff happened and there's so much other stuff to talk about. So if there is a position position specific that is a new position specific helmet coming out for linemen that helps protect them better i'm all for it i know absolutely nothing else about it because there have been a bunch of new rule changes the one that has been the most flashy the one that has come out as the biggest news i guess for the nfl as a whole is an agreement to expand the options for players in terms of the different numbers that they can have on their jerseys for the longest amount of time the only people who were allowed to have single digit jerseys were either quarterbacks or specialists punters kickers etc or maybe not it's i guess that's the only two specialists who were allowed to have that but anyways the nfl has now finally for the first time i believe agreed to extend the number of different players who can have a larger number of jersey numbers so let's go ahead and take a look at this just run down the list here so for defensive backs defensive backs are now able to have any number between the numbers 1 and 49 on their jersey Moving further down this list here, running backs, fullbacks, tight ends, halfbacks, and wide receivers. Why Running backs and halfbacks are the same thing. Why are they both listed here? <laughs> Anyways, those, those different players, those player groups, are now able to wear numbers 1 through 49 and 80 through 89, which as we're going through this, I guess I didn't realize that now running backs and fullbacks could have a number in the 80s, not just these other positions having numbers way lower than you would have normally seen which is an interesting uh, interesting note. Offensive linemen, they stay within the 50 to 79 range. Defensive linemen, 50 to 79, and then 90 to 99. And linebackers now are 1 through 59 and 90 through 99. So the biggest change there is all these different positions that are able to have a wider range of numbers in the on the lower end of the number scale. So this is largely, I don't know why... I don't know why this is what this was made a change, but this is definitely something that you see from from uh, from college players. Players in college definitely have a much larger range of numbers that they're able to wear. 
uh, even including Rashad Bateman, who was a potential draft candidate, a number or a first round draft candidate coming into this season, switched his number to number zero this this past season. So it is an interesting thing. I don't have. I know Tom Brady came out as being very anti this. There have been a lot of other people who are pro this. Uh, a couple things on this. First. For players who want to change their number for this coming season, there is still an NFL rule that if there is some sort of a backlog or a, a whole a whole large amount of memorabilia or jerseys, I guess specifically, that have not been sold for a player with their number, in order for a player to change their number this season, they need to agree to purchase all of the all of the jerseys, I guess, that would be sold that have not yet been sold which comes out to being a couple million dollars potentially of stuff that you need to buy. I, I don't even, it's such a strange rule because the stuff is going to sell anyways, I think. Think about all the times, like think about all the times that a player is traded or cut and then ends up on a different team. They're not responsible at those points in time for paying for all the jerseys that they are no longer wearing. So is it just because this is their prerogative and their option that they would be changing that that is why they need to pay for this? It's a strange concept to me. The stuff would still sell. It's the NFL. Everything NFL license sells anyway. So I don't know. I don't understand that point in particular. But then in terms of changing your number now, I I, I try to put myself in personally for what I would what I would expect myself to do in that situation. And I feel like once I got a number, I would maybe keep my number that I just already have. But then again, I never was a football player and never got attached to a number in that way. So I guess I can't say for sure what that would be. The other thing, the final thing on the number piece that I really wish was a possibility was for kickers to have any number that they wanted because it seems like the kickers are going to be stuck staying between 1 and 20 or 1 and 19, I guess. But I would love to see, like in college football, when you have a kicker wearing a 90-something number, I would love to see that in the NFL just because it is absolutely absurd. (laughs) That is the only reason. So that was the, I guess, the rule change that has gotten sort of the most attention in the past week. But there are a few other rule changes here. I'm going to be relying heavily on a piece from Kevin Seifert from ESPN, which do I have the link saved? I do have the link saved, so that link will end up in show notes. But Kevin Seifert went through a bunch of different rule changes that did and did not get adopted. We will be sticking to the rule changes that did, did get adopted, excuse me, with our discussion here today. Kevin Seifert, next rule on this list here is that there is expanded uh, responsibilities or expanded potential role for replay referees. So typically on any given Sunday, you will have a replay referee up in the booth uh, at the field at the same time. And then I guess other replay review can go to uh, New York, to the NFL headquarters in New York. But the the replay referee is going to have some an ability to have an expanded role here. So let's just read word for word from this. The, re- the replay referees. So the authority to consult with referees on certain specific objective aspects of a play when clear and obvious video evidence is present is coming into the NFL now, according to the language of the rule. Replay officials will not be able to throw flags or reverse calls on their own but they can now offer referees advice based on what they've seen on broadcast replays in the areas of possession, completed or intercepted passes, 
the location of the ball relative to the boundary or end line, and whether a player is down by contact. So from the get-go, it seems like this is sort of an expansion into the quote-unquote objective calls, things that you can objectively say the ball was here, the player possessed the ball or did not, uh, etc., etc. And I think part of potentially the hope for this is that you are seeing less challenges on plays where you could potentially already get the call correct before a challenge has to come into play and before you need to make a subjective ruling on something that has happened. Now, as has been mentioned in a bunch of different places, we do not yet know what sort of unintended consequences may come out of this rule change. It seems like every time rules are changed, especially when it comes to replay review, there are a lot of unintended consequences or maybe one more glaring unintended consequence that comes out of replay review changes. So this is not technically a change to replay review, and this is not an automatic the referee up in the booth gets automatic power to make a change. It seems like the only point of this is for them to be able to add input to what has been seen via replay. So this seems like the goal, I guess, is that you have that replay referee, replay referee come in as sort of the way that referees down on the field do, where they're able to consult before actually making an official ruling if something happens on the field and the referees do need to consult. It seems like now you are adding the replay referee and what has been seen via replay to be able to to be able to advise, I guess. And then I think the power, I guess, technically will still rely on the head referee as to what rulings are. So I guess we'll see what happens with that one. It has yet to be determined because this will be the first time this is being expanded. Other changes. We talked last week, I believe, about the the fact that the 4th and 15 play in, in replacement of in lieu of the onside kicks that did not get voted uh, in the positive. That is not going to be a thing. But there is now a thing that is a one-year experiment that has been approved, which is an attempt to make it easier to recover onside kicks. So now, now that I am saying this out loud, I understand this a little better in terms of what the goal is. So in 2021, the receiving team on kickoffs will be limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball. This is in response to the proposed 4th and 15 play. So now instead of the receiving team having all of their players being able to just line up close to the line and potentially be able to recover that onside kick, the goal here is to pull two of those players out so that the kicking team has a better opportunity to recover the onside kick which is the goal of the onside kick. In my mind as I was reading this, I was trying to figure out how having fewer people available to receive the kick was beneficial to the team trying to receive the kick, but the whole point of the onside kick is for the kicking team to be able to recover the ball instead of the receiving team. So this is an attempt to give the kicking team a better chance at receiving the onside kick or recovering the onside kick. So this is another situation where we will have to wait and see what happens in terms of unintended consequences. Does this have an impact on the number of onside kicks that are recovered by the kicking team, etc., etc., etc.? So now that I now that I'm understanding this better as I, as I have been saying this out loud, 
I, I, my opinion, my opinions were negative before I actually understood what this meant. Now I have largely no opinion. I, this isn't going to be another, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Further down the list here, additional rule change, eliminated overtime and preseason games. I don't know why this wasn't a thing in the past. I remember one time, way back when Brad Johnson was on the Vikings, there was a time when a preseason game went to overtime and Brad Johnson was supposed to call the head, the coin toss in the air. And his call was, you should have you should have gone for two to the opposing team who had just tied up the game right at the end of the regulation period. So this, I don't see any negatives to this really. Preseason games already don't really matter that much in terms of overall to the team, I guess. And we, we do have one fewer preseason game coming now that we have moved to a 17-game regular season schedule. Moving on down the line, the NFL changed a rule that will now force a loss of down if two passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage. Now, I do not know for sure, I did not take the time to look this up, whether that means the passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage and then advanced past the line of scrimmage, or if this is just two consecutive passes that are both received behind the line of scrimmage and then do not advance past the line of scrimmage. So this has yet to be seen. It's an interesting rule change. I'm kind of curious about why this is a thing. It seems like you are already penalized in a sense in terms of not getting past the line of scrimmage. But if it is a if it is a scenario where it is anything completed behind the line of scrimmage, even if it is advanced, I guess it sort of kind of makes sense in terms of trying to continue pressing a team to move the ball down the field. And then I guess you're not going to be seeing multiple screen passes in a row, however this works out. In the end, I don't I don't entirely understand why this was a this was something that people feel felt a need to change. Another rule change here, we've got looks like three more to go. Approved a rule change that ensures the enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts, defined as an opportunity for a team to score one or two additional points during one scrimmage down. So I guess this means enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts. So I guess if you have to do a bunch of stuff in a row, if there are offsides called or if there are holdings or something like that, delay of games, then penalties will be required to be accepted. I haven't thought too much about this one either. This is another. We'll have to wait and see how this plays out. Two more to go here. Next one. Decided to include taunting among its points of emphasis for 2020. So I guess these next two aren't technically rule changes, but they are points of emphasis when it comes to penalties that are being assessed. So this this the uh, the focus on taunting was clarified that the emphasis would be directed not at celebrations, which was a thing that the NFL dealt with in the past, but toward acrimonious, what a good word, acrimonious interaction among players. So I guess this is sort of a pushing and shoving. You will be more likely to see taunting penalties, not just for that, but for, I guess, hand gestures towards opponents or language used towards opponents or different things of that nature. And then the final change here, completed a study of the sharp drop in offensive holding during the 2020 season, this being the NFL. Uh, apparently, Walt Anderson, the NFL's senior vice president of training and development, would clarify the standard, the standard for offensive holding flags, and put together a video for teams to consume before the 2021 season. 
Now, as Judd Zolgad from Score North pointed out, it seemed like the drop in offensive holding calls was the point of emphasis last year. Like, there were fewer offensive holding penalties called because they were trying to call fewer offensive holding penalties. So now if they're going to reverse that decision and re-up potentially offensive holding penalties, um, it seems like it's going to slow stuff down. There's going to be potential now for a flag on basically every single play because there is holding on every single play from both sides of the ball, especially on the line. So I... I am I am not very high on this change if if they're planning on bringing back an incredibly large number of holding penalties. The last thing the NFL needs, I think, is more penalties. Unless the, the only reason that we need more penalties if there is if there are more egregious penalties being shown. I don't think we need more of a focus on adding more penalties to the game than we already have. And I think in addition to that, this is another one of these more subjective rules rather than objective rules where I guess there is an attempt here to make this more objective in terms of fully officially defining what offensive holding is. Um, Once again, we're just going to have to wait and see, I guess. But I am less high on this than on other rule changes that were made. So... That is the last thing that we will discuss for the day that does not have an impact on the NFL draft. The other major news that came out of the NFL does have an effect on the NFL draft, does have an effect on the Vikings draft, and that is that Orlando Brown Jr., who we have been talking about the entire time we've been making this podcast, wow, the entire time we've been making this podcast was officially traded, or was officially announced that he was going to be traded uh, yesterday, being Friday the 23rd. The announcement came out that Kansas City was going to be trading draft picks to Baltimore for Orlando Brown Jr. and draft picks. So going down this list here, Kansas City is getting offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr., a 2021 second-round pick from the Ravens, and a 2022 sixth-round pick from the Ravens. Baltimore will be getting from Kansas City a 2021 first-round pick, a 2021 third and fourth round pick and a 2022 fifth round pick so as we have discussed there has been major discussions about whether the vikings were in on a potential orlando brown jr trade and then potentially putting him at left tackle or putting brian o'neill at left tackle and putting brown at right tackle which is not what he would have wanted but it was a potential for what may have happened once he got to the vikings Orlando Brown Jr. is also still looking for another deal. He is playing on the last year of his current deal at the moment, and it sounds like Kansas City is planning on letting him play out his deal before offering him another deal, which I guess will potentially allow him to play another season at left tackle, which he did last season, at least in part filling in for an injured player, and then they will reassess and see whether they will attempt to Uh, extend some sort of negotiations with Orlando Brown Jr. prior to him becoming a free agent next year. Now, in terms of the Vikings, in terms of their perspective, in terms of what they may or may not have been interested in, I think there are a lot of people who just looking at this trade think that they would have liked for the Vikings to be in on this trade. When I first saw this, I did not know that Kansas City was also getting draft picks back. So my thought was, if you're just giving a first, third, fourth, and next round's fifth for Orlando Brown Jr., that is a very high price tag. But 
it, with the fact that Kansas City is getting a second rounder this year and a sixth rounder next year back, that gives me much more of a wish that the Vikings had done this, just in terms of the way this looks right now, straight up. But I saw on Twitter yesterday that apparently the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart is still a thing that teams use, which I did not really have sort of any, well, any knowledge at all about until yesterday. And then once I saw this tweet, I took a look, and it seems that whoever this this uh, person from Pro Football Focus, Brad Spielberger, potentially is his last name, again with the pronunciations, Kansas City, he says, it looks like is using the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart. So, the Ravens are trading the number 58 pick and the number 208 or a future sixth to the to the Chiefs, that is, along with Orlando Brown Jr. The Jimmy Johnson trade chart is a thing that was used by Jimmy Johnson when he was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys now roughly 30 years ago. And that assigned a number value to each draft pick in the NFL draft in order to figure out whether trades were more or less acceptable, whether you were trading an equal value or not in terms of your draft picks. So using this, the 58 and the future sixth that the Ravens are trading has a number value of 328. The picks that the Chiefs are trading, number 31 overall, 94 overall, 136th overall, and then the future fifth round pick equals a number value of 783. I don't know that there are necessarily units. It's just whether the numbers are equivalent or not. So in terms of this trade, it looks like there is a difference of 455, which means that the Chiefs are valuing Orlando Brown Jr. as the 45th overall pick in this year's draft. So I was curious, because I think I would have been interested in the Vikings first, third, fourth, and future fifth for the second, future sixth, and Orlando Brown Jr. from the Ravens just straight up, just as that was. But I decided to take a look at the Jimmy Johnson draft chart, and it turns out that the Vikings first round pick is much, much, much more valuable than the Chiefs' first-round pick in terms of the number value given to it. So the Vikings are trading, or trading, Vikings are drafting 14th overall. Kansas City had the 31st overall draft pick. Now, according to the draft chart for, from Jimmy Johnson, that is, the 31st overall pick has a number value of 600. No units, just a number value of 600 for Kansas City. The Vikings first round pick up at 14 has a number value of 1100. 500 points, I guess, more than the Kansas City the Kansas City uh draft pick. Not only is it 500 more points than that, it is like 300 plus more points than the total of 783 that the Chiefs came up with with their draft picks. So, if we were to attempt, if I may be so bold as to attempt to put together a a trade and come back as Final Cut decided it wasn't too happy with me talking about a bunch of stuff. So, we've got a little bit of a drop there for those of you watching on the video. But if we assign these number values using the Jimmy Johnson draft chart and attempt to negotiate some sort of an equivalent trade for the Vikings and the Ravens, Based on what I see, if you are required for the Vikings to trade a first-round pick, especially since they don't have a second-round pick to trade, 
if you are trading the Vikings first round pick and uh, incorporating this into the Orlando Brown Jr. trade, based on these numbers, it looks like the Vikings with a first and fifth, their first fifth round pick, which is 143rd overall, trading to the Ravens for the Ravens first and Orlando Brown Jr. valued at this 455 number value or the 45th overall pick. That is an equivalent value of trade capital, draft capital, or whatever sort of capital you want to call it. And if that's the case, I I don't understand why you don't make that trade. What are you doing? Like, now maybe maybe it's the case where the Ravens are valuing something differently. And as I scrolled through the Twitter mentions or the comments on this specific tweet, it seems that there are different varieties of draft charts available with different number values assigned. And potentially using a different value chart, the Ravens are getting more value than the Jimmy Johnson chart gives. But, but I would be comfortable with the other trade as well. So, (laughs) we don't have anyone on the left side of the line right now. What are we doing? So, so yeah. All of this said, there's... In addition to all of the things that I just mentioned, I also think that Kansas City is in a better position to pull this trade off than the Vikings are because, as we already know, Kansas City has been to the last two Super Bowls. They won one of them, and they already have a bunch of different pieces in place to be able to get back to the Super Bowl again this year. Not only that, but having played in the Super Bowl last year and having had their offensive line be a major detriment to them in that game, they understand the value of the offensive line and they have been rebuilding it this offseason. The Chiefs played top Chiefs paid that is top dollar to get Joe Tooney, the left guard in free agency. They also are bringing Kyle Long out of retirement to bring him in and now they're bringing in Orlando Brown Jr., which is going to be another new piece to this line and they're getting another player back who opted out last season on the line. So they have been building and building as well as they can, rebuilding their offensive line to try and be more dominant than it was before. Now, it is worth noting that the offensive line is not, it cannot be the only thing that was a detriment to them in the Super Bowl. They lost like, however much, 31 to 9, I already don't remember what it was. But they got dominated by the Buccaneers last year. So the offensive line is obviously not the only thing that was, was a concern. But with the number of injuries they had on their offensive line, the number of backups they had playing in place of starters, and the number, the sheer amount of time that Patrick Mahomes spent running for his life during the Super Bowl, with all those things in mind, the Chiefs decided to focus on the offensive line very specifically this year and doing it with established players, which is a thing the Vikings cannot seem to do on the offensive line. And as you can tell by how how much energy I have coming out of me right now, which is more than normal, we have been frustrated in this city for at least seven years with how the offensive line has performed. So, would I have been in on a Vikings trade for Orlando Brown Jr. now knowing what the cost was? Yes, absolutely yes. Either with the same number of picks that the Chiefs traded in those same positions, or with the the formula that I came up with using the Jimmy Johnson draft chart. Because if you look at this, with what the Vikings have this year, the Vikings have number 78 and number 90 in the third round. So number 90 is semi-equivalent to number 94. Looking in the fourth round, the Vikings have four fourth-round picks this year. 
I think you could have found one that is semi-equivalent to number 136. And I'm pretty sure we still have a fifth rounder next year, too. So, I'm frustrated. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm frustrated by this. Frustrated that we don't have a good offensive tackle coming to Minnesota to help fill in the left side of a line which has been subpar for an extended period of time. So now that Orlando Brown Jr. is off the board, that is another of these options on the left side of the line that is no longer available to the Vikings. So as it currently stands, we are still going to be waiting on whether the Vikings are drafting multiple linemen, whether they're going to attempt to use players they already have to try and fill in gaps on the line, which, which are large and, and obvious. And basically just what is, what is the strategy? What, is, what are we doing? What are we doing on the offensive line? I understand you're a defensive guy, Zimmer, but as I said before, and as other people I have seen say in the last week have said, it doesn't make sense that the offensive line isn't a Zimmer thing. It's like Zimmer is all about the grinders. He's all about the defense. The offensive line is the defense of the offense. I don't get it. I don't understand. I do not understand. But with all of that said, we are going to be taking a look here at last year's draft we're going to wrap up our series of looking at past drafts evaluating the past drafts of the vikings and after we're done with that since we only have one draft to look at this uh, this week we're going to be looking at sort of overall during the zimmer spielman era what and who the vikings have drafted what positions they have taken when and where and sort of what we could potentially expect based on what the Vikings have done in the past for what may be happening in this year's draft. So we're going to go ahead and take a break as I get that set up, and we will come back and discuss those things here on the Eric the Red podcast. Hey, everyone. This is the point in most podcasts where you would maybe expect to hear an ad read, a Patreon plug, or something of that nature. While that may be something that ends up being integrated into this podcast in the future, I'm more concerned at the moment with getting this podcast up and running. So, no ads, no Patreon, but if you do want to find out more about this podcast or any other project I'm involved in, head over to ericbeckmedia.com. That's ericbeckmedia, all one word, dot com. Now back to the show. All right, and we are back here on the Eric the Red podcast. I got this set up, and we will jump into this for those of you on video shortly, but I'm just going to cover this. In the past, we've been looking at the rosters from previous seasons before we look at a draft to see what the Vikings needed. In terms of this one, I don't need to look back because I can actually remember what the Vikings needed. Coming out of 2019, the Vikings traded Stefan Diggs. The Vikings lost all of their cornerbacks, basically, and then they also, as we know, needed offensive line help and needed a defensive end because Everson Griffin also left in free agency. So, already knowing that those are the things the Vikings needed going into this, let's go ahead now and jump into the Wikipedia article, as we've been relying on Wikipedia for, to look at the 2020 NFL Draft. Now, as we said last week, it is going to be very difficult to look at different spots that the Vikings may or may not have drafted someone else because there is less information to go on. So actually, as I'm looking at this, I'm realizing that I hadn't even planned on looking at Wikipedia because as we scroll down here, we see Chase Young was a pro bowler. We see Justin Jefferson was a pro bowler. And then we don't really have a whole ton of ideas about who else 
the Vikings might have been interested in taking here because those are the only two rookie pro bowlers from last season. So that was a very productive look at the 2020 draft as a whole. Let's just jump right over to the Vikings drafted players. It's going to go very quickly because, as we just said, there's not a whole lot of information to go on. But as we see here, let's just go ahead and read down the list. The Vikings took 15 draft picks last year. I'm going to pause to let that sink in. 15 draft picks. The Vikings did not have all 15 of those players make the team. I think it's. I think that should be obvious. But let's go ahead and go through this list here. First round, the Vikings had two picks. The Vikings took Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney. Second round, Ezra Cleveland. Third round, Cameron Dantzler. Fourth round, DJ Wanham, defensive end. James Lynch, a defensive tackle. And Troy Dye, a linebacker. Fifth round, Harrison Hand, a cornerback. And KJ Osborne, a wide receiver. Sixth round, Blake Brandle, a tackle. And Josh Metellus, a safety. And seventh round, Kenny Willicks, maybe, a defensive end. Nate Stanley, a quarterback. Brian Cole, the second, a safety. And Kyle Hinton, a guard. Fifteen picks, need I remind you. Now, it is fair to say that Justin Jefferson certainly looks like potentially the best pick in the draft last year. Or at least one of the best picks in the draft last year, if we're going to... Move back over here. I mean, obviously, looking at this list, you've got the three rookie quarterbacks who were taken very highly, and Justin Herbert was the was awarded the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Those of us in Minnesota feel like there should have been someone else who was taken as the Offensive uh, Rookie of the Year pick. But with that said, Justin Jefferson, I think it's fair to say, was the best pick that the Vikings could have made at that point in time. The one difference I have here, the one quibble I have, is that knowing now that Jeff Gladney is having the issues that he is having right now, and that he may not end up potentially playing with the Viking, potentially be playing with the Vikings in seasons moving forward, even without that as a thing, I would much rather have taken Antoine Winfield Jr., who is a safety, with that pick in the draft. Now, the Vikings traded back to get 231 to take Gladney. Antoine Winfield Jr. went 45th overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and was a stud, played very well down in Tampa Bay this year. And had you decided to focus on safety, focus on Antoine Winfield Jr. in particular, you would not necessarily have needed to bring Anthony Harris back last season to be your starting safety, give him the franchise tag. You could have let him walk last year and brought Winfield in. Or you even could have just brought Winfield in, even knowing that you had you had Harris coming back last year. Because I think I think we're going to see, again, I'm infatuated with Gophers players, but I think you're going to see that he is going to be a very good player for a very long time in the NFL. At least that's my hope as a Gopher fan. The other the other piece of that then is wishing that the Vikings had taken Tyler Johnson, another former Gopher. Who, and who was taken in the fifth round as a wide receiver prior to the Vikings' fifth-round picks. But since they did end up drafting a wide receiver in the fifth round, I'm wondering whether you could have potentially used that second fourth-round, or the third fourth-round pick, excuse me, because, again, we had so many freaking draft picks last year. You could have used that fourth-round pick on Tyler Johnson, who 
in Tampa Bay has not yet had the chance to expand his role, and maybe he doesn't end up panning out as someone who becomes or develops into a great wide receiver. But at the same time, when you have three starting wide receivers ahead of you on the on the offense in terms of Mike Evans, uh, oh my goodness, I I knew I shouldn't have done this to myself. <laughs> Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and was it Godwin? Whoever they just they just brought him back this season. But in any case, you had three starters down there, and obviously you had Tom Brady, so that's going to be quite helpful in terms of learning on offense. So it worked out to be a great situation for Tyler Johnson, but I can still wish that he had come to the Vikings. So that's the 2020 draft, I guess, broken down. As it stands, we've had the top four picks for the Vikings last year contribute last season. Again, we don't know what's going to be happening with Jeff Gladney moving forward. But you had Ezra Cleveland plugged in at guard, not tackle, but at guard. You have Cam Dantzler, who developed into being a very good rookie wide or wide receiver, rookie cornerback last season, especially in the second half of the season. And then I guess you have a bunch of people who are still unproven. Uh, you're looking at those two defensive linemen, linebacker, another corner, Harrison Hand, who also got playing time last year because the Vikings lost all of their corners <laughs> So, going into last season. Oh, my gosh. Is it any wonder that we were a dumpster fire last year? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Okay. So I'm going to uh, try and pick myself up off of the floor, I guess, or wherever the heck I just went in my brain. We'll go ahead and pull the pull the screen capture stuff off the screen. We'll go ahead and end that. And we'll take a look now at overall over the Vikings. Let's uh, bring the screen recording off the screen because I decided to do that instead of talking. Okay, so looking overall at the Vikings drafts under Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. The Vikings, positions taken since 2014. I'm not going to go through every one of these, probably. <laughs> I may I may go through, I'm going to go through a bunch of them. But overall, the Vikings in the draft took 35 players on offense since 2014. Of those 35 players, four were on day one, which is just the first round, and seven were on day two, which is the second and third rounds. So of the 35 offensive players, the Vikings took 11 in the first two days of the draft and 24 on day three. On defense, the Vikings took 39 players, four of those on day one, including three cornerbacks, and five on day two only. So of the 39 defensive players, only nine of them were on the first two days of the draft and 30 were on the third day of the draft. But this is not the only piece of information. We're going to be going through breaking down a bunch of this. So fair warning, I guess. The rest of this is going to be breaking this down pretty pretty specifically. So if you're not looking at doing that, that's about the rest of what we will be talking about. So again, fair warning. Looking back at who the Vikings have taken, there are not very many of them who are still with the team. This is all going to be by my count, but let's go through this. The oldest offensive player who is still with the team from the Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman drafts is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is the only offensive player still on the team from 2017, the 2017 draft. No one else from before then is still on the team. No one. 
no one taken in 2014, 15, or 16, or anyone other than Delvin Cook from 2017 is still on this team. The oldest defensive player on the team is Anthony Barr, but he is the only person left from 2014. Now, Anthony Barr was the first draft pick of the Zimmer-Spielman era, so I guess that may be saying something, but it definitely looks like he will not be back with the team next year and then moving forward after that. So, overall, this is by my count, and just looking at the active roster, there are players who made the practice squad for a while or who are still on the practice squad. These players, the players that are still on the team, by my count, are not counting to that, which I have to quickly mention Oli Udo, who I said last year had gotten playing time, or last week, I mean, had gotten playing time, has not actually gotten playing time as far as I can tell. So Oli Udo does not count yet. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see moving forward. But still with the team, just active roster. 2014, one of your 10 draft picks from 2014 is still on the team. From 2015, two of your 10 draft picks from 2015 are still on the team. 2016, you have two draft picks who are who are on the team, but you cannot say are still on the team because they left and came back, those being Stephen Weatherly and Mackenzie Alexander. So you have two players from the 2016 draft who are with the team, but who left and came back. 2017, one player of 11, Dalvin Cook. Oh, we should mention, by the way, the one from 2014, that's Barr. The two from 2015 is Kendricks and, oh my goodness, Daniil Hunter. Wow, brain fart right there. Two we mentioned from 2016, and we mentioned the one from 2017 being Dalvin Cook. 2018, four of eight drafted players still with the team. And then moving beyond that, 2019, you have eight of 12 still with the team. In 2029, I have here maybe eight, but nine from 2015. Somewhere in there I had a question. Oh, that being Gladney. Is Gladney going to continue to remain with the team? So so there's that. We have we have this issue. I know I mentioned this sort of five-year rolling, uh, potential rolling roster sort of thing where maybe you have some of your backups who you are sort of consistently rolling over for basically like a five-year period. But with that said, the Vikings only have... From from within three years, seems to be the only large number of draft picks who are still with the team. Beyond that, you only have six players from prior to 2018 who are with the team, four of them who you can say are still with the team. And then, so just on, just on that alone, that's, that shows me... That shows me that you have some problems in order of in in terms of drafting players who you are then able to maintain and keep with your team. It seems like there are a lot of positions, especially looking at that, where maybe you have undrafted players, which I didn't count, which would include maybe only CJ Ham and Adam Thielen. But so you maybe have some undrafted players, but other than that, you're picking up a lot of players from outside of the organization. So you have that aspect of it. But then if we move into looking at who you drafted and when you drafted them, we get we get a little more of an interesting look at the Vikings moves moves the Vikings have made. The Vikings have only drafted two quarterbacks in the last 7 years. Uh primarily there that was Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, and then after that you had fill-ins with Bradford, Keenum, and now Kirk Cousins 
and then whatever ends up happening moving forward. The only other quarterback he drafted was Nate Stanley last year, who has not yet technically been with the team. You've only drafted three running backs, which I thought was interesting, but they were all day two picks. All three of the running backs you took were day two picks, and that's Jarek McKinnon, Dalvin Cook, and Alexander Madison. Two of those three are still with your team. So in terms of percentage, that's not bad, and you gave a whole heck of a bunch of money to Dalvin Cook. So I guess in that aspect, you didn't necessarily need to develop talent. You drafted talent, which you were able to find as I try to find my water bottle. You drafted talent you were able to find that was able to come right in out through the draft, I guess, and then sort of make an immediate impact. Down from that, wide receivers. Vikings have taken nine wide receivers, but it's really an interesting sort of look. The Vikings have either drafted a wide receiver in the first round or a wide receiver in the fifth round or later. There's no day two wide receiver. There's no early day three wide receiver. You've got your two first rounders, which was Laquan Treadwell, a bust, and Justin Jefferson, a major hit, and then a variety of other wide receivers from later in the draft. One of those being Stefan Diggs, who was a very good player but is no longer with your team, and that's at least in part, is on you, I think. So nine wide receivers. Five tight ends. <laughs> the Vikings seem to take a tight end every year except for last year, in 2014, I guess. But it's either Irv Smith Jr. or a fifth or sixth round tight end. So another interesting sort of look for the Vikings. Then we come to the offensive lineman. An offensive lineman, it's an interesting scenario for me. You have only drafted one offensive lineman in the first round, and it was Garrett Bradbury, who we still don't know if he is going to be a hit or a miss in terms of where you drafted him. And then beyond that, you have one, two, three day two, three day two offensive linemen that you drafted. So that is, let's see if I can get all these names right. Brian O'Neill, Ezra Cleveland, and... Pat Elfline. Two of those three are still with your team. And two of those three potentially are going to be good. Brian O'Neill, we know, has been good. Ezra Cleveland looks like he can at least fill in competently. And Pat Elfline is no longer with the team. He is now down in Carolina on his third team in his NFL career. And then beyond that, you have taken a bunch of offensive linemen on day three. So of the one, two, three, four that you drafted in either the first or second round. Beyond that, we have 12. 12 offensive linemen who you have taken in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. You've only drafted three centers total. Well, I guess you're hoping for Bradbury to be the guy, and I guess you were. F uh, Elfline was technically a center, and then he got moved once Bradbury came. I understand that Vikings all know this. I am kind of trying to talk this out as I'm looking at these things. But with all of that said, that is all your offensive players. So looking at that, again, just looking at first-round picks, start of, starting with first-round picks as I fumble my way through this. A quarterback, an offensive lineman, and two wide receivers are the offensive players you've taken in the first round in this regime. Looking on defense, there have been no defensive linemen drafted prior to the third round. No first-round defensive linemen, no second-round defensive linemen. And you only have two third-round defensive linemen. 
One of them was, again, I still don't know how to pronounce his name, Scott Crichton is my best guess, and then Daniil Hunter is the other third rounder. Other than that, you have only ta- you haven't taken any fifth rounders, that's interesting, but you've only taken, other than those two, defensive linemen on day three. And whether you've technically been able to develop them or not, it certainly doesn't seem like you have, because it seems consistently that the Vikings are finding tackles in free agency. And I guess I've just kind of been relying on whatever they can stick with in terms of the defensive ends, other than Hunter, who was hurt last year. Looking at linebackers, the Vikings have drafted 11 linebackers in the last seven years. I had to do a double take of that number because that seems like a very large number, especially when two of your starters have been with the team almost the entire time Zim has been with the team. You're looking at Barr, who's been with the team since Zim has been with the team, and Kendricks, who was drafted a year later. So I don't know if this is just drafting for depth and then rolling them over or trying to continue to find a third linebacker you can bring in and continue to roll over. Eric Wilson, it should be mentioned, was another of those undrafted guys, so he doesn't even count to this list. And he even still is no longer with the team either. Of these 11 linebackers, the Vikings only have four who are still with the team on the active roster. There is a seventh rounder who was taken last year, who we just mentioned earlier in this segment, but it does not look like he was ever on the active roster. Moving after that, this is more... I knew this... I had a better understanding of this, but they have also, the Vikings that is, have taken 11 cornerbacks. So you're looking at 11 linebackers and 11 cornerbacks taken in the draft in the last seven years. Of this, the Vikings have taken them sort of all over the place. You're looking at a first-rounder in, uh, oh my gosh, Trey Waynes, who we mentioned during that draft recap. We maybe would have rather have seen Marcus Peters drafted. And then you're looking at a first-rounder in 2018 with Mike Hughes, who it looks like is going to end up being a bust ultimately. And then a first-rounder in Jeff Gladney, who we don't know if he's still going to remain with the team or not after this season. But we do know that Zim likes to stockpile his corners, and that has been seen. And of these corners, five of them are still with the Vikings, but that's because those five have been here since 2018. And then we have Mackenzie Alexander, who is now back with the Vikings after having played in Cincinnati for a year. Moving down, I was surprised by this number as well, but not because it is large. The Vikings have only drafted four safeties in the last seven years, which I was surprised by. I guess, I'm pretty sure Ant Harris was the seventh rounder in 2016 that I'm looking at. But other than that, I guess you've just sort of been relying on Harrison Smith to be the guy who was taken prior to Zim coming to the team. And was, I guess, an early Spielman draft pick once Spielman started officially being in charge of things. But you haven't really been looking at a bunch of safeties overall. But with that said, you took two safeties last year. So not a whole lot of focus on safety. And then in terms of specialists, you've only taken one kicker in the last seven years, and you've only taken one long snapper in the last seven years, and no punters in the last seven years. So a lot of our kicking help has come from outside of the organization, kicking specialists in general help. A lot of that has either come from outside of the organization or was already here when Zimmer got here. So looking at all of that, as I was going through this, it's a... It's a curious sort of set of, I don't know, I don't know, a curious sort of set of draft picks, I guess, in my opinion. Now, this is with the understanding that I don't necessarily know 
the process to what goes into choosing who you draft. But I think I can say that I had some surprises going through this. Overall, the Vikings have in this draft a first at this moment, I should say, as we record on the afternoon of April 24th. The Vikings at the moment have a first round pick, two third round picks, four fourth round picks, two fifth round picks, and a sixth round pick. Now, as we know, as we have just discussed, the Vikings have taken eight first-round players in the last seven years, and three of them were corners. So if you were looking just at trends, it would certainly look like the Vikings have the potential to take a first-round corner. Whether there is going to be a first-round corner of 14th overall pick value is one question. The other question is, I think people would go freaking crazy if the Vikings took another first-round corner especially since the first-round corners we have taken are not with the team anymore pending Jeff Gladney's issues. But, like, I don't understand. I've said this before. I don't understand how Zim is the defensive backfield specialist, develops the defensive backfield guys, but then you lose all of your defensive backfield players and they don't want to come back and play for you last year, so you get stuck using a bunch of rookies. So that doesn't make sense to me. Then we go down the line here. Hope to, I guess, turn this into a pun. Hope is for the Vikings to take a lineman. Specifically, I think that fans want an offensive lineman. But either side of the ball, I guess, you're looking for the Vikings to potentially take a lineman with their first overall pick. I guess we'll have to just wait and see what happens on that. Other other notes about this. Everyone, it seems, thinks the Vikings want a second round pick, which they don't currently have. So there's some expectation that Rick Spielman is going to be attempting to work his way up into the second round. There's also this understanding that the Vikings love seventh round picks, which they don't currently have right now. One of those was for a cap violation, which we discussed in a previous episode. So the one Viking seventh round draft pick from this year was forfeited due to that. So it will also remain to be seen whether the Vikings will want to find a way into the second round and whether they will want to begin stockpiling seventh round picks. So we will have to wait and stay tuned about what sorts of trades the Vikings make make during the draft. And as we have discussed, a lot of people think the Vikings will be trading this first round pick and that they will be trading back. But at the moment, I don't know who you would be trading back with depending on who is left on the board. My personal preference, as I have said again in a previous episode, if you have someone like a Panay Sewell available falling all the way to 8 or 9, I would much rather the Vikings move up to take a player like that rather than waiting for to see how the board falls and then trading back. And I think largely the expectation is the only way the Vikings trade back really realistically is if there is a quarterback who falls all the way to 14. So... If they stay with where they are right now, if they stay with the picks that they have right now and just draft with those picks, they don't make any trades at all, the trend would suggest that you're going to take with with your first rounder. I think we're still sort of juries out as to what's going to happen with that. Hopefully, I guess, alignment, but we will much has yet to be seen. But then with your two third round picks, you're looking at Based on the trends, you're looking at a corner and an offensive or defensive lineman. So again, 
I think we're sort of looking at a defense or a lineman in general to be taken with at least one, potentially two of your top three picks with where you sit right now. And then based just off of the issues that we saw last year and the focus on the corner backfield, the defensive backfield, the cornerbacks, however you want to phrase it, I would expect the Vikings will be interested in taking a corner as well in the third round. You're looking based on trends at a fourth-round linebacker, I guess, just for the sake of staying with the trends. And then other positions I think you're looking at on day three. You're looking at a guard on day three. You're looking at a safety potentially on day three, especially since there is now a, a hole, which you have filled with a free agent, but there is still less certainty on one side of your safety tandem. You're looking at a couple of corners. You're looking... I can't imagine the Vikings are going to get out of this draft without taking like two corners at least. You're looking at a tight end in the fourth through seventh rounds just because apparently that's what we do every year. And you're looking at potentially a couple of defensive linemen, uh, whether they be tackles, DNs. I don't know. There's the hole right now is that defensive end. So maybe more of a focus on defensive end, but certainly a potential for defensive tackles at well. The last piece about this I'm going to discuss is quarterbacks, quarter, quarterbacks, not corner, quarterbacks. There is a lot of a push right now, me with me included. Me, I am including myself in this. So that is, let's make that certain official, say that as loudly and as clearly as possible. I am interested in the Vikings drafting a quarterback in this draft. I would potentially be interested in drafting a quarterback with the first-round pick that they have. I would be potentially interested in them drafting a quarterback with one of the third-round picks that they have. The thing about third-round quarterbacks is, right now, the Vikings are looking for a replacement to their backup, who was Sean Mannion. And we're hoping that whoever we would potentially be drafting in this scenario to come in and fill in that spot that is now void from not having re-signed Sean Mannion, we are hoping that player will be better than Sean Mannion. And there is some expectation from outside of this podcast that the player they take in the third round will be better than Sean Mannion was. My issue with that is that Sean Mannion was a third round draft pick. So just because you are drafting a quarterback in the third round does not mean that he is going to be better than Sean Mannion. We need to be prepared for that to be a possibility. Now, I think I have said here already, and if I haven't, I will say it again. I have sort of become interested, I guess, in taking Kellen Mond. The most of the reason I know about Kellen Mond's name is because of other people who have talked about him. Because, again, as I have said about something else in the past, I don't know much about college players in general coming out in the draft. I'm just more aware of names as they are said. Kellen Mond received a very high draft rating from the likes of Chris Sims and is sort of expected to be an early middle round pick, however you want to define that. Potentially going as high as the second round, but for sure a third or fourth round pick. Now, if Kellen Mond is as advertised and is a very good quarterback and turns into someone like a Dak Prescott who was taken in a middle round, I certainly have interest, in interest, that is, in drafting someone like that. But then other potential quarterbacks who are going that high include the 
uh, Mills kid from Stanford or the Trask kid from Florida or potentially someone else. I've heard other names in the past couple of days, couple of weeks who have not stuck in my brain, so I don't remember them in, uh, specifically. But I think the hope is that the Vikings will be taking a quarterback at the very least further ahead than the 6th or 7th round, as was sort of the trend back in the Childress and Frazier years. So, we do, there is a hope that the Vikings will be taking a quarterback who could potentially take over for Kirk Cousins at some point, whether that be next year or the year after. But we have no guarantees. And we can say things like, I have heard in the media, specifically, I listen to a lot of Score North, which comes out, I'm sure, but I will just say it here anyways. There has been this narrative coming out of the Score North guys that if you're taking a quarterback in the first round, it's essentially a 50-50 of whether that person pans out or not, and that you can't blame a team for taking a quarterback in the first round. I don't think that's true. I think you can blame a team for taking a quarterback in the first round. Now, we go back to Christian Ponder. Christian Ponder may for some people be an exception to the rule of that because the Vikings definitely reached in taking Christian Ponder. And there were a number of quarterbacks taken after Christian Ponder who were better. There were a number of quarterbacks taken in that draft before Christian Ponder who were worse than Christian Ponder potentially. All that to say, I think you can fault a team for taking a first-round quarterback if they, depending on who they take. Teddy taking him... 32nd in the first round. That is more of a fit. He was potentially trending towards being a better player than he ended up being and then had his very significant knee injury. So that is another player who potentially would have worked out for you as a first-round quarterback pick. And I guess if we're doing the coin flip deal of 50%, that's one for two that you probably could say you hit on, even though technically you didn't necessarily hit on Teddy Bridgewater. But looking at quarterbacks, looking at quarterbacks this year, we need to recognize that drafting a quarterback outside of the first round is not necessarily a, a that person is not necessarily going to develop into a great player and that percentage of possibility of that player being a great or even good player at quarterback as you go further back in the draft falls off dramatically. Tom Brady is the exception to the rule. You cannot hope to rely on finding the next Tom Brady in the sixth round because it doesn't happen that often. Tom, like Tom Brady is like, it's almost like we need to remove Tom Brady from the conversation when we think about where we're drafting players, because it was just, it's, it's unprecedented. That's the word unprecedented. If we look back, I've done, I've done this exercise before and I didn't have the time to go back and pull all this information. But if you go back over the last seven to ten years and look at where quarterbacks were drafted, specifically after the first round, just looking for pro bowl quarterbacks, not necessarily whether quarterbacks are still good or developed into great players, but just looking at quarterbacks who have made the pro bowl, the most successful season, the most successful draft for players at quarterback making the pro bowl coming out drafted after the first round is the draft that saw Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins and Nick Foles come out all in the third and fourth rounds combined. Those three made the Pro Bowl, all drafted in the third or fourth round. After that, there was maybe one where there were two quarterbacks, but in the last 10 years, you're lucky to see one Pro Bowl quarterback come out after the first round. 
So we cannot hope to expect that we are going to find our starter for the future after the first round of the draft. We can't hope to expect that we find that person in the first round of the draft. But specifically to after the first round, we cannot necessarily hope that the person who comes in, if we are to draft someone, will be as good or better than Sean Mannion, as good or better than Kirk Cousins, as good or better than any number of players who have been termed good or great who were drafted that late. That said, I still want the Vikings to draft a quarterback in this draft. I would still be looking for it. I'm still hoping for it. That That is my hope. This is sort of the predictions versus desires thing. The previous things that we went through in this draft or in this discussion, those were my predictions, sort of my expectations, just based on what the Vikings have drafted before. The other thing in terms of expectations is that the Vikings, I feel like, as we've looked at this, have definitely drafted for need in terms of what they needed going into the next season or based off of what they were lacking the previous season. So with that said, I would expect the Vikings to be focusing on defensive end. I would expect the Vikings to be focusing on the offensive line, and I would be expecting the Vikings to be focusing on cornerback. Now, apparently they're also focused on taking a linebacker. We talked about that already. Those are some of the expectations. My desires with the way the team is right now is that you were looking at drafting a number of offensive linemen rather high, looking to draft a quarterback, looking potentially to draft a defensive lineman. And those are my only desires, really. I think we're fine at the at the running backs, at the wide receivers, at the tight ends. Hopefully, we are still yet to be determined on the tight ends, but I think we are okay there. I think we are okay, potentially, at linebacker for this season, at safety for this season, at defensive tackle for this season, potentially at defensive end for this season. But after this... Everything is once again up in the air, I think, for next year. I don't think the Vikings are going to be drafting for the future. I think they're going to be drafting for this season. And I think if it is true that both the general manager and the head coach think that they're on the hot seat right now, they're going to be drafting for this season. Which is problematic for those of us who will continue to be here after next season. It is potentially problematic for the manager or for the head coach and for the general manager if they continue to be here past next season. So the focus on, I don't have an issue necessarily with focusing on need. There is a reason that they are needs, that we call them needs, that you would focus on the needs because you don't have those things. But we have been focused. I've been. I think we have been so focused on. We were so close to the Super Bowl in 2017, and we must still be close because we were close at one point recently. And I think 2018 was a problem because they were too focused on how good they had been in 2017, and were looking to replicate rather than get rather than get better. I think that fell further into 2019, and part of the fool's gold of 2019 was winning in New Orleans during the playoffs, and then last year, once again going into last season, fooling yourself into thinking your team was better than seemingly everyone outside of the organization knew it was going to be. So I'm once again getting riled up at this because it just seems like we are in a sort of Groundhog Day scenario of doing the same thing over and over and over again with no past results actually occurring. We have not been to the Super Bowl since the 1970s. We have never won the Super Bowl. So if the focus is on getting to the Super Bowl, we need to focus on what it takes to actually do that. 
I'm going to take a page. This is probably going to be the last thing I talk about. I'm going to take a page out of what the Minnesota Wild and hockey have been doing over in terms of rebuilding their roster in the last season or two and take a look at what that could potentially, lessons that could be taken from that for the Vikings. Now, again, I know less about hockey, far less about hockey than I know about football. So this, again, is all secondhand. But if this, if these are the lessons that the Wild have been learning, I think they are lessons that the Vikings can take. The Wild have been going out, and they have been trading for bringing in players who have been on Stanley Cup winning teams in the past. And for the most part, they are players who are not your top-of-the-line players. They are players who fill in roles. They fill in their roles well, but they are more sort of backup, further-down-the-line roles. But they have the experience and they know what it takes to make their way to the Stanley Cup Finals and to win the Stanley Cup. For the Vikings, the Vikings have a very large lack in terms of players who have played in the Super Bowl, who have won the Super Bowl, who know what it takes to get to the Super Bowl. The general manager has not been to the Super Bowl. The head coach has been to the Super Bowl almost 30 years ago as a position coach. This is not this is this is all going to tie into different things, but my concern with Mike Zimmer early in his tenure as the Vikings head coach was that Mike Zimmer was going to become the now I'm forgetting his Marvin Lewis. He was going to become the Marvin Lewis for the Minnesota Vikings. Marvin Lewis was a very solid head coach in Cincinnati for a very long time who did not win a playoff game in 15 years. Zimmer already has won more playoff games than Marvin Lewis did. But Marvin Lewis stayed in Cincinnati. People, He was well-respected in Cincinnati. He was able to develop players and make it back to the playoffs consistently in Cincinnati, but did not win a Super Bowl or even come close to sniffing a Super Bowl in Cincinnati. My concern is that the Vikings are becoming that way. The focus is more on getting back to the playoffs and remaining consistent on that front rather than consistently challenging to be a championship team. And they do not, I think, have coaching experience to get there or what that knows what it is like to get there. I don't know that they have player experience to know what it is like to get there. Just looking quickly through, just thinking through the Vikings roster right now, as I get messages on my phone, just thinking through the Vikings roster right now, who can we point to to say that person has been to the Super Bowl and has won the Super Bowl? Let's take a pause. Take a pause. Think about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the Vikings roster from last season. We'll use last season and we will factor in who the Vikings have now on their roster. 2020. Nope, that's Vikings stats. I want Vikings roster. Oh, sometimes when you don't set stuff up beforehand, it ends up going pear shaped on you. Vikings roster. Let's just pull up the people who are currently on the team. And let's scroll through. I am scrolling through. I'm not going to have this on screen. I'm not going to have, and obviously it's not going to be on audio, but we're scrolling through. And this is listed alphabetically. So if I see someone who I know has been in a Super Bowl and has won, I will stop there. The first person is Britton Colquitt, the punter. <laughs> first person to come up. So we have one. We have one person with Super Bowl experience. Do I recognize any other names who would potentially or actually have Super Bowl experience? Scrolling down the list, a lot of these guys 
our Vikings. Greg Joseph, the kicker, was on the practice squad for the for the uh, the Buccaneers last year. So our specialists have seen Super Bowl action. Continuing to scroll down the list, Patrick Peterson has been a very elite player, but has not played in a Super. Did he play in the Super Bowl? He may. He, I mean, the Cardinals didn't win. I don't remember if he was actually on that team or not. Were the Ravens in the Super Bowl recently enough for Michael Pierce to be in the Super Bowl? Possibly. I'm not going to take the time to look it up, but you're looking at, and then Dalvin Tomlinson coming out of New York. I don't think he was there during their Super Bowl runs. But those, that's it. That's it. You have your court, your specialists for sure, your kickers for sure have at least seen Super Bowl experience. Whether Greg Joseph was actually on the field or not, different story. And then you have a couple of players who at least played for teams who were close to the Super Bowl at some point, so they may have seen what it takes from other people, but necessarily having first-round experience, maybe not so much. So you're looking at, of a 53-man roster, two for-sure people who have seen Super Bowl action, or one in particular, I guess, who has actually played in the Super Bowl, your punter. So... I feel like I'm getting riled up with nowhere to go because no one actually knows what it actually takes to turn a team into a winning team. So we're we're ending this on a less on a less positive note than I would have liked to have ended it on. But I think there is concern, and I think a lot of people understand that we are going into a season which will define, for better or worse, define the next several years of Vikings football depending on what happens this year. It could potentially mean completely new management. It could potentially mean differences in terms of the roster. It could potentially mean things continue as they have been. So that's where we are Where we are right now. Going into next week, I would expect that next week is almost entirely going to be analyzing what has happened in the draft. Now, that potentially means this comes out a day later than it typically would because I'm going to be waiting for the third round or the third day to wrap up on Saturday next week. So we'll see what happens in terms of that. But I would expect to be very 2021 draft result analyst analysis that is <laughs> focused as I try to be staccato with my speech. <laughs> okay, I'm done messing around here. I think that's enough for right now. This has been a rather extended rant for me. Hopefully this doesn't happen again, knowing how the Vikings play football. I am I will neither conform, confirm nor deny that this is going to happen again in the future. But with all of that said, with all of the emotion that we have spewed here, this has been the Eric the Red Podcast. For those of you watching on YouTube, thank you for watching. Thank you for those of you on your podcast players for listening there. And as I said, this has been the Eric the Red Podcast, and I am your host, Eric Beck.